This is part five of my discussion on movement and the functional range conditioning system. So if you haven't listened to the previous four episodes, you can go back and check those out. What this fifth episode here will be is kind of just a summary and an overview. And it's going to be my attempt to articulate what the entire functional range conditioning system is actually all about. So on the previous four episodes, uh, the first one I spoke about the difference between flexibility and mobility. And I spoke about how flexibility is essentially useless range of motion. It's passive range of motion, whereas mobility is your active range of motion. Right, so that's the space that you actually have control over. On the second episode, I spoke about the evolution of the human skill space. So this wasn't like 100% directly related to the FRC seminar, but it, it definitely tied into some of the concepts, and it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about myself, and it is, it is definitely related to some of my, my long-term endeavors, uh, both with my, my personal movement practice as well as what I'm trying to facilitate for other people and honestly for the human species as a whole. Um, so that one was about the evolution of the human skill space and the skill space being your entire realm of possible movement patterns, all the different skills that you could possibly acquire. The third episode was about pattern training and I spoke about how there is a there is a big difference between exercising and moving and basically any exercise that has a name is just a it's just a pattern and it's something that is actually extremely complex that we've just tried to reduce you know with our language you know attaching a name to it and we've tried to reduce it to something that's extremely simple when actually it's really complex and there should be a high degree of freedom involved with it. So the pattern training is something that was sort of a, a core concept within the functional range conditioning system, the seminar that I took. And the pattern training, it was basically, his claim was just that pattern training doesn't really matter. And what's more important is that you actually just train your joints to be able to move how they're supposed to. And then you can learn any fucking pattern that you want. But it should not be the other way around. You should not be training these patterns first. What you should do is just train the joints to do what they need to do. Expand their range of motion. Expand your strength and your control. And then you can you know, link together whatever patterns, whatever exercises you want. Uh, so that was pattern training, and then I believe the fourth one, I spoke about neural drive. So your neural drive is basically how much force you can actually make your muscles generate. So the muscles, you can think of it like this, the muscles themselves, there's a certain capacity that they have for generating force, and then your neural drive is what percentage of that maximum capacity that you can actually intentionally, voluntarily get them to use. So neural drive was a big thing in the whole FRC system. Basically every single 
technique that he uses is based on generating greater neural drive. And he also speaks about neural drive as internal resistance, right? So something that would be an external resistance, you know, that's commonly used in exercises would be weights, right? If you're lifting weights, that weight represents an external resistance. So the muscles have to work harder to move it. With the techniques that he uses, it's basically all focused inward. It's all focused internally. So that means that you're actually using your own muscles to provide resistance to movements, which for some people is just so completely foreign. Like it's, that's just a complete mind fuck for some people because they're just used to your sort of standard conventional exercising where you're just lifting weights. So those were the four things that I covered in the previous episodes. Difference between flexibility and mobility, the evolution of the human skill space, you know, your, your realm of possibilities, the different kinds of movement patterns that you could acquire with training. And then the third episode was about the pattern training and how training specific patterns, training specific exercises ultimately makes you worse at being a human, but doing the opposite, if you learn to move all of your joints properly through their full range of motion, which makes you better at moving as a human, then you will be better at any sort of pattern that you decide to train. And then, like I said, the last one was about neural drive. And so that's being able to generate as much force as possible, you know, the highest percentage of the maximum capacity that the muscles um, can can put out force and this fifth episode here is it's going to be my attempt at a, a summary of the whole frc system so i've uh i went to a two-day seminar if you missed the previous four episodes um, i went to a two-day seminar over the weekend and it was like eight to nine hours every day so i'm gonna attempt here to distill all of that information into a podcast episode that is hopefully less than 60 minutes. We'll see. Um, being, being concise is not always my strong suit, so we'll see. I wrote out a little bit of an outline here, so hopefully this will keep me on track, but I've, I've been known to go off on some tangents that lead to other tangents and more tangents, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep it pretty short and I'm going to try to give enough detail, you know, so that it's comprehensive. But I realize that a lot of people are not fitness professionals and they don't have in-depth knowledge of human anatomy or physiology or biomechanics or anything like that. So I'll try not to get too deep into some of the science. But again, I'm, I'm going to still try to be comprehensive. And, uh, you know, be able to kind of give you the bigger picture and see how it all comes together. All right. So first, I don't think I've mentioned his name yet. So the functional range conditioning system is one, it's, it's like one program within a greater system, which I believe he just calls the functional range anatomy system or just functional range system. And the person I'm referring to is Dr. Andreo Spina. So if you want to look him up, it's spelled A-N-D-R-E-O space S-P-I-N-A. Andreo Spina. And 
From now on, for this podcast, I will refer to him as Dre, D-R-E, because that's how he refers to himself in the seminar. So I'm going to call him Dre. So Dre and his uh, his whole system is really, it's, it's brilliant because it's so simple. And when you can understand it and when you kind of see it all laid out in front of you and see how all the different parts connect, it's so simple and it seems obvious. Like after I went through the seminar, I was like, how is like how has no one else put out a system like this before? And so I've I've taken plenty of different fitness movement type certifications and trainings. And what it seems to me is that all of them are just like they have some sort of an idea, some sort of opinion. And they form a system around it and they just tell people like, this is the best thing. Like, this is what everyone should be doing. And then I see this, the FRC system, basically is the opposite of that, where he's just like, this is what the science tells us. And then like, this makes sense. Like, this is the logical next step based on everything that we know from science. So what's great about the system is he, he makes very few like actual choices which, which sounds crazy, but he makes very few like personal choices. He doesn't, he doesn't really throw in like his opinions into it almost at all. So it's based off of just a few principles, which are extremely like well studied in, in uh, kinesiology and like biomechanics and all of like fitness training type science. So the first one is the law of progressive adaptation. So basically this says that if you apply a certain stimulus to the body, then the body will respond by adapting so that it's more capable of handling that stimulus the next time that it occurs. So like this is why people get stronger when they lift weights consistently or you know do strength training exercises consistently over time. This is why you can get faster, you know, from progressively improving your ability or progressively, you know, training at a higher and higher intensity, right? So the body's going to adapt based on the stimulus that you, that you apply to it. And so after it adapts and it becomes more capable of handling that same stimulus, it's only going to continue to adapt if that stimulus progresses, Right, so if that stimulus um, either becomes a higher intensity, you know, like if you're lifting weights, you have to lift more and more weight to continue getting stronger. Or it could be a higher frequency, like you're doing it more often, or a longer duration. Right, so some, some sort of, some way of progressing that stimulus and its overall intensity. So that's the law of progressive adaptation. It seems really obvious when you hear it, but like someone a while ago discovered like this was a law. The second one, which is uh, heavily like influenced or is a heavy influence on the entire FRC system is the law of specificity. So this one seems like common sense too. law of specificity basically says your body's going to adapt specifically to the demands that you impose upon it, right? So like if 
if you're doing, you know, bicep curls like three days a week, like your calves aren't going to get stronger because you're doing bicep curls, right? Your fucking biceps are going to get stronger. So that's one part of it. And that's super obvious. The other part of it, which is, which is, um, which is used, you know, throughout the FRC system as well, refers to specific joint angles. So we talk about any joint moving, the joints actually move through angles, right? We, we can like see linear motions. It, it can appear to be linear, but when you actually look at just what's happening at the joint, the joints being, you know, where a bone connects to another bone, the way the joints actually move is through rotation. It's, it's through moving, it's through different angles. So the law of specificity around joint angles basically says that if you train a joint at a specific angle, then it will confer strength, obviously, to that specific joint angle, but also approximately 10 to 15 degrees plus or minus, right? So if you're, if you're doing some sort of training exercise with your arm just straight out in front of you, right? So your shoulder is at 90 degrees, and you were to train there some sort of static isometric training exercise, you would obviously get strong in that exact position, but it would also make you a little bit stronger 10 to 15 degrees above and then 10 to 15 degrees below that position as well. So that's the law of specificity, and that's extremely important for the the basis of a lot of the more advanced techniques, um, the specific techniques that are used in the FRC system that I'll get to later. So those two principles, those two laws, are probably the most important ones. And then another one that's not necessarily a law, but is it's, it's certainly a founding principle for the whole FRC system, is basically just that you know evolutionary biology tells us that humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, more or less existing in this same physical form. And we've studied the anatomy, we've studied the physiology of humans. And so we know how we're supposed to move. Like we like the structure dictates certain movements and certain functions of each of the different joints. So we know how they're supposed to move. We know how they're capable of moving. So we should fucking move that way. Like, it's that simple. So, I mean, that last part at the end is a little bit of an opinion, right? Like, so we, like, scientifically, we we know how all these structures allow us to move. So then it's like, it seems like a pretty common sense opinion to, like, take the next step and say, okay, well, humans, we are these animals that have existed in this form for like about 300,000 years. And we know how they're supposed to move. Like we know how they have moved. We have an idea of like what their lifestyles were, you know, ancient humans hundreds of thousands of years ago. So it makes sense to just think, well, why aren't we moving that way? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we learn to move that way instead of fucking bench pressing, you know, doing bicep curls, like, and I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'll apologize like for all the meatheads out there uh, because all you'll probably hear me say stuff like this throughout this podcast. But really think about it, like 
an actual human just existing in nature, even you could even go like 10,000 years back and it's drastically different from what it is now. But like you think like 200,000 years ago, like what kind of movements were humans actually doing? They weren't fucking bench pressing. They might have been doing something that sort of resembled bicep curls, like, you know, just to lift something, you know, to bend their elbow to bring it closer up towards their face. But they weren't just sitting there doing bicep curls, you know, just checking out their biceps in the mirror. (laughs) So, anyway, so the point is, like, we know how humans have moved. We know how the joints are supposed to move. So... The, the only opinion there is like, all right, well, it makes sense then. Let's fucking move that way. Let's learn. Let's train ourselves. Let's design our bodies to move that way again. So the next one, um, sort of an opinion, but I think this is just like common sense if you consider the contrary. So the next thing that the FRC system is based on is that the idea that having full range of motion of your joints is better than not having full range of motion. Like, I don't know anyone who would disagree with that. Like if you had to choose the opposite and like, I don't think anyone would say I would rather not have full range of motion in a joint than actually have full range of motion, be able to express the full range of motion, the full capacity and the function of this joint. Right, so that's like sort of an opinion, but it's like that's that's common sense. I don't know anyone who would disagree with that. All right, so we've we've gone over sort of the basic principles and like the the fundamental premise premises used in the FRC system. So the law of progressive adaptation, the law of specificity, um, evolutionary biology telling us how humans have moved and how the joints are supposed to move. And then the simple idea that having full range of motion is better than not having full range of motion. So expanding on this a little bit, when we're talking about any type of movements, you know, any like literally any movement that you actually do with your body on a regular daily basis or at any point in your life, most of the time there are going to be multiple joints moving, Right? There aren't a whole lot of times where like literally your whole body is still and then you just isolate one joint and it moves, right? Like that's not really how we how we create movement when we're doing anything. But in terms of a training environment, it makes sense that you should learn to train your joints independently first before you learn to train the joints interdependently. Basically saying that you should learn to move one joint perfectly by itself, perfectly independently, before you attempt to do more complex patterns of moving multiple joints together in certain sequences. And this just makes sense. Again, this is something that should just be common sense. But everybody tries to do it backwards, right? Because we're just obsessed with training these different patterns, these these fucking exercises that we've put names on, like everyone wants to squat or deadlift or bench press or whatever. And I'm not like demonizing compound movements, multi-joint movements, right? But the point is that when you overtrain certain patterns, 
your body no longer is capable of expressing joint independence, right? It can't actually move the joints independently because every time it's doing, you know, a certain motion, it's, it's coupling these certain muscles together, the movement of these certain joints together, right? So in a training environment, we need to learn joint independence before we learn joint interdependence. And so again, that goes to the whole pattern training thing. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into the pattern training because I did a previous episode on it, but I'll, I'll elaborate just a little bit. So something that Dre talks about a lot with the FRC system is how pattern training decreases your ability to move as a human. But the opposite is not true. So improving your ability to move as a human will always improve all patterns that you wish to train in the future. Right, and so when we're talking about your ability to move as a human, again, it goes back to the evolutionary biology thing. Like we know how these joints are supposed to move. We've studied them. We know how they're structured. We know what their function is and what it has been for hundreds of thousands of years. So learn to move as a human, you know, so you have your full capabilities, full range of motion, full control over those ranges of motion, and then throw in some pattern training if that's what you want to do. But the problem is people don't actually think about what they want to do. First off, people see movement, First, people don't think about movement. They think about exercise. And they think about exercise because they think, well, I should be exercising because I need to be healthy. Really, what you should have been doing your whole life is just fucking moving. Like, you should just be moving all the time. Every other animal, basically, is just moving. They don't think about exercising. They don't think about their health. They just fucking move. And that's what we should be doing. But, of course, there's all this stuff in modern society with the technology, the different jobs and everything. And people just don't move. And that's, that's like a five hour conversation for another time. But what we should be doing is just moving a lot more than we do. But instead, we don't move. So people feel one people are unhealthy. So they feel like they need to exercise to be healthy. And that's not wrong. Right? Like, yes, exercising is going to help improve your health if you do it properly. But if you actually want to move as a human, right, and, and kind of have your greatest potential, your greatest capabilities of moving, it should not be three days a week that you exercise for 30 minutes. That's not nearly enough, not even close. So we just need to move a lot more. And we're talking about the ability to move as a human. You know, again, it's all of our, all of our joints need to be able to express their full range of motion. And if we are only training these specific patterns because we go to the gym and we see these other people who look healthy, they look fit, they look super strong. We see them doing certain things. So then they're like, I want to look like that guy. So I'm going to start doing what he's doing. So now I'm just overtraining the fuck out of these like five different patterns i'm doing bicep curls and lap pulls and bench press and squat and deadlift those are the only patterns i'm doing they're the only things that matter because i'm gonna look like that guy and i'm gonna get healthy and i'm gonna get strong but when you overtrain these specific patterns 
the rest of your movement potential as a human diminishes. And I mean, that just that part is like common sense, but people just don't think about it because they don't actually consciously choose patterns that they want to train. It's all these different external influences. What we should all be doing is like literally we should all just be doing this FRC system every fucking day so that we just learn to control our entire range of motion for every single joint in our body. So then we're just like a blank slate and we can literally learn anything that we want in an optimal state, right? Because we have full range of motion, we have control over the full range of motion. We have strength in every position that our body can actually get into. And then from there, you learn whatever the hell you want. And so then you actually take the time to think about, well, like, what are the specific patterns that I actually want to train? Like, what do I actually want to be able to do with my body? What's something that's fun for me or what's fulfilling? Like, how do I want to challenge my body? Right. This is what we should be thinking about. But people do it backwards. Again, they think like these are like I see everybody else doing these exercises. So this is what I got to do. So then they overtrain these patterns. Maybe they get injured or maybe they're lucky and they don't. But what happens over time is their body will adapt to that fairly quickly. They'll hit a plateau. And then after hitting the plateau, they're like, well, fuck, I don't know what's going on. Then it maybe resort to something drastic. Like they try to push themselves too hard because they're not making any more progress. They end up injured or they just continue even more overtraining that specific pattern. And then eventually their mobility just diminishes their their movement potential outside of those specific patterns decreases. And then eventually that creeps into that specific motor pattern as well. And then you're just fucked. And then people just don't know what to do. So they're just doing this shit backwards. All right. I went off on a little bit of a rant there. Uh, Something else I want to say about the pattern training, which uh, is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently like in the weeks leading up to taking the seminar and then he said it like pretty beautifully so this is what dre said like almost word for word and i wrote it down took notes he said if an exercise has a name it has been confined by human consciousness and so i think I, i alluded to this earlier i might not have said that those exact words but any exercise that has a name like like the the movement patterns that humans are capable of expressing are are actually so complex. And there's so many degrees of freedom with the different ways that we can move. But if we put a name on it, like we say, like, this is a squat, then like everybody has some image in their head of like, what is a squat? And so they're, they're confining the movement with our consciousness, like with our language, right? We're just, we're saying like this pattern, like this is a squat, And so everybody thinks, okay, that means I have to do this. But in reality, like there's a hundred different ways that you can squat and sort of the, the further that you deviate from whatever people think is the standard or like the perfect technique for a squat, you can deviate, you know, slowly and you realize like it's, it's a whole spectrum and you get to the point where you've deviated far enough that like some people would call it a squat. Some people wouldn't call it a squat, you know, but really we just like, like I said before, like we can just kind of get away from these patterns, you know, let go of this obsession with fucking exercising and just say like, I'm just moving. 
and like maybe my knees and my hips bent at the same time and it looks like a squat and that's cool but I'm just moving so I wanted to make sure I fit that in I, I really like that that sort of line there is if an exercise has a name it has been confined by human consciousness Last thing I'll talk about in regards to pattern training and, you know, doing specific exercises, specific skills. And again, I'm, I'm not like against this. I'm not demonizing it. But the point is that one, people are doing it backwards. And two, there's just way too much emphasis placed on certain patterns. When again, the human body can do so much more. And at least to me, like I've always felt personally, it's way more fulfilling to learn new skills as opposed to do the exact same skill over and over and over again. And, you know, maybe you put in like six months of work and you add 10 pounds to your one rep max back squat. If that's what you want to do, that's cool. But I just think there's a lot of other things in terms of movement, a lot of other things for you to explore. And I think that a lot of people would find more fulfillment. They would enjoy exercising more, which is, ultimately going to lead to better health because if you enjoy it you're much more likely to stay consistent with it and that's going to be like the biggest factor for people's health is just consistently moving right not going super hard with your weightlifting regimen for like two years and then getting either injured or just completely burnt out and then just being a fucking couch potato for the next 10 years like if you just learn about your body and you just explore movement continuously that's how you stay healthy for your whole life because it just becomes part of your lifestyle so um the last thing that i wanted to say i don't think i even got to it jesus christ in order to perform any skill or any specific pattern like i've been talking about every joint involved needs to be able to achieve the necessary range of motion independently so again this is something that's really obvious but people don't think about it and people i don't know if it's people are like stubborn or just unaware or just really want that like instant gratification and just like they just want like a quick fix but this is it's such a simple concept to understand like if you're gonna do a skill so it's it's pretty easy to think about this um for like a squat Right, so people have a general idea of what a squat is. Different types of squatting movements. Um, so like some common ones, like there's a back squat, you know, there's a bar on your back. There is the front squat, where there's a bar or some other weight in front of your body. And then there are overhead squats, where you have your arms straight, your arms overhead, you're holding some sort of weight overhead. So with the different squatting movements, and again, there's plenty more, but these are like three extremely common ones, especially with a barbell. With the different squats, because the weight is positioned in a different place, that changes the weight distribution from the front to back. When the weight distribution changes, then for you to get to the bottom of a squat and still stay balanced and not fall over, the position of your joints has to change. Right, so those three different squats I just spoke about, back squat, front squat, overhead squat, they all actually require different joint angles, and the most relevant ones are the angles of your ankles, 
your knees, and your hips. And of course, for the overhead squat, your shoulders are much more involved, but that's not the point here. So out of those three, the overhead squat requires the most ankle mobility, right? So your ankles have to bend extremely far. And for every single overhead squat that has ever been done properly, the knees will go past the toes. I'm not going to get into that. That's like a huge thing in like the squat community about whether or not your knees should ever go past your toes. But for you to overhead squat properly and not fuck up the rest of your body, your knees absolutely need to go past your toes. So your ankles need to be extremely mobile. If you are not capable of moving your ankles into the proper position, right into that end range of motion, you have no chance of doing an overhead squat with proper technique. And what does that mean? It means that you're going to compensate somewhere else, most likely somewhere in your spine or your shoulders. So the answer to this is not that you just keep doing more overhead squats and you just hope that you're going to get better at it. That has nothing to do with it. If that was the problem, and it could be fixed by simply doing more overhead squats, then the problem is not structural. That would mean that the problem is neurological, because if you just do more and your brain learns how to do it, then that means that what was impeding you initially was your neurological capability. But what I'm talking about is that your ankles literally just can't move into the proper position. So this is a structural problem. It has nothing to do with your neurological capabilities. It's not your brain saying that it doesn't want the ankles to move there. It's like literally the structures just won't let it move there. So the solution here is not do more overhead squats or modify overhead squats to make it easier and get around the ankle problem. The solution is to fix your fucked up ankles. It's so simple. Like when you think about it, like, of course, my ankles can't move as far as they need to. So just doing more overhead squats isn't going to do anything because I haven't fixed my ankles. So fix your fucking ankles. How do you fix your ankles? You just do this whole fucking FRC system and apply it specifically to the ankle joint. So... Just to recap, that was in order to perform any skill, every single joint involved needs to be able to achieve the necessary range of motion independently. If that's not the case, then you will compensate somewhere in your body. And people kind of demonize compensation. Compensation is actually your body just being brilliant. Like, actually, that's what it is. It's your body, like, finding a different way to achieve the same task it ends up looking different obviously right because it it literally can't do it a certain way like the overhead squat example i gave your ankles can't actually bend that far so then you do something weird with your spine and with your shoulders and that allows you still to still accomplish that task of you know keeping a bar over your head and bending your hips and your knees as low as you can go and standing back up But that's not really the point of the overhead squat. And so this is a problem with the pattern training is people don't really understand what's supposed to be going on and why they're doing these specific patterns and they just get caught up in completing the task. 
and they are not concerned with the actual movement itself because they just lack the understanding. So, I will soon get into some of the specific techniques of FRC. I've, uh, I've covered most of the sort of introductory stuff that I wanted to cover. Um, something else that's, that's very prevalent in the FRC system. So, the, the whole thing is about training your joints, right? Whereas most, I think most people's conception about fitness and exercise and strength especially is about training the muscles right and it's not that the muscles aren't important it's just that's not the only thing like it's just an incomplete picture so the frc system is really all about training the joints which are also known as the articulations so you'll hear that later on um the word the word articulation will be much more common than the word joints um and again the joints are you know anywhere that a bone comes into contact or connects with another bone and is capable of moving those bones relative to each other. So the whole thing is based around training your joints. And if you can train the joints, you will train all of the connective tissue, not just the muscles. So some of the other connective tissue, you have the muscles, of course, but then you have the tendons and you have the ligaments and you have cartilage in some cases, most cases. You also have the joint capsule, and then you have the bones themselves. And they're all considered connective tissue, and it's all really part of like a whole spectrum. If you were to put it under a microscope, you wouldn't really be able to pick out the exact boundary, like right where a muscle ends and right where the tendon begins. Right, so like... You know, your sort of anatomy 101 class will tell you uh, a tendon connects muscle to bone. Right, so that means you think, okay, well, I just have the muscle, and then somewhere, boom, I just have the tendon, and then somewhere, boom, I just have the bone. But it's not really that simple. It's just, it's a spectrum. Um, in the FRC system, Dre calls it the, the bioflow because everything just flows and meshes and interweaves with each other. And it's sort of just a, a gradual change in composition of the connective tissue. Right. And so we have useful distinctions like muscles, tendons, ligaments, all things I said. But just realize that it's not so black and white. And again, when you put the boundary under a microscope, it gets real fuzzy and you can't actually tell exactly where the muscle ends and the tendon begins. Or, you know, you can apply it to any of the other connective tissue that I spoke about. So that part's real important. You train the joints, right? You don't focus on training the muscles. You train the joints. And when you do that, you will train all of the connective tissue and not just the muscles. If you are focused solely on training the muscles then most of the adaptations are going to occur with or at the muscles, right? And not all of the other connective tissue. And this is part of the reason why injuries occur, right? So there are plenty of injuries that occur to tendons and ligaments. And part of the reason is because the muscles are capable of generating more force than the rest of the connective tissue can withstand or can absorb. 
And so there's a problem. There's there's an imbalance, and it's kind of just like the the weakest link thing, right? So like whatever is the weakest link, the ligament or the tendon or even the joint capsule itself, that's that's what's going to get injured. So before I speak about the actual techniques, the last principle that I need to cover uh, to give a little bit of context and you know just make it all make sense is the law of irradiation. So the law of irradiation, and if if you can't understand this, irradiation comes from the word radiate, right? So this is spelled I R. R-A-D-I-A-T-I-O-N. The law of irradiation in regards to muscle tension basically says that if you contract one muscle with a lot of force, then that tension from that one muscle will radiate to the surrounding muscles and create greater tension around those muscles or within those, those surrounding muscles. So the implications of this are actually really important. So what this means is that if you want to create maximum tension in any one muscle, then you will do so by creating greater tension in the surrounding muscles as well. And then you extrapolate that further, and what that really means is that in any muscle, if you want to create the the literal maximum tension, maximum force production, then what you actually need to do is contract every single muscle in your entire body because uh, the law of irradiation, like it, it doesn't stop, you know, like it, it, it's not like restricted to like, it has to be within six inches of that muscle. Like it, it goes throughout your entire body because everything's interconnected, right? So if I want to squeeze something with my hand as hard as possible, and you can try this, if you just slowly start making a fist, squeezing harder and harder and harder, like you'll you'll feel in the beginning, it's it's kind of just like your hands and your fingers, and then you squeeze harder and harder, and you'll feel it in your forearms, and then you get to the point where you're like squeezing as hard as possible, and to continue applying more and more force, you'll feel your biceps and your triceps start to tighten up, you'll feel your shoulders and your pecs and your lats, and eventually, if you want to create the literal maximum tension you have to tense up your entire body so the law of irradiation is used for basically all of the frc techniques and it's really important for a few reasons one like i just spoke of it's that's how you generate maximum force and then two this also allows you to override some neurological safety blocks so your brain does a lot of cool things you know, on its own without you having to think about it to protect your body. And this is especially applicable to the FRC system because we're talking about, you know, end ranges of motion, you know, getting, you know, moving certain joints as far as they can go. And people can get injured if you move, you know, further if or if something else moves you, something external to you, moves a joint further than it's capable of controlling, right? That's a lot of times how injury happens. And so when we're training, obviously, like, you know, we're not, we're not trying to injure ourselves or anything. But to improve our range of motion, we need to be able to get past some of these neurological blocks. 
so that we can open up new range of motion and then use the muscles to generate force and actually control that range of motion and tell our brain that it's okay to be in this position or be near this this end range of motion. So the law of irradiation, again, where you can tense up basically every muscle in your body or at least the closest ones, you know, the ones that are surrounding the joint that we're addressing. When we can irradiate greater tension and we can, you know, we're actively providing that force ourselves, that basically just tells your brain like it's okay. Like I'm the one providing the force here, like it's okay for me to be here. In addition to that, so this this improves the the irradiation improves your overall neural drive. I spoke about that in one of the previous episodes, I believe it was the one uh, that I posted yesterday. And you can think of neural drive as the internal resistance that you're providing to your own movement. So doing this this irradiation, you know, where we radiate that tension um, throughout our body into the other muscles, not just the one that we're moving, we can provide our own resistance to a movement, right? So just take a simple example, just look down at your elbow and you can contract your biceps, right? To bend your elbow, pull your hand up towards your shoulder. But if you flex your bicep and your tricep as hard as you can, and then you try to do it, you realize that the tricep is providing resistance against the bicep, right? So that's providing the internal resistance to movement like I just spoke of. All right, so we got that out of the way. Now we're actually ready to talk about some of the specific techniques. So I think first, just just an overview. In his system, he... He splits this into two different paths in regards to the movement capabilities of any given joint. So he splits it into the rotational path and the linear path. So the rotational path, those exercises to improve the rotational path, he calls them CARs. C-A-R, Controlled Articular Rotations. I told you that word, articulation or articular, would come up again. So the rotational path is for the cars, and then the linear path is for these other acronyms that he has. He calls them pails and rails, and a, a more advanced set of techniques, pals and rows. So these acronyms, pails, P-A-I-L, Progressive angular isometric loading, rails, regressive angular isometric loading, PALS, P-A-L, progressive angular loading, RALS, R-A-L, regressive angular loading. So obviously they're similar. Um, You can probably hear the dogs in the background because we got kids trick-or-treating on November 1st because... uh, it was a, there was like a hurricane warning or something, tornado warning last night, so kids were not out trick-or-treating. All right, I apologize for that. So we were talking about there's the rotational path and there's the linear path. The rotational path refers to rotational movements with the joints. 
And so, of course, certain joints are more capable of rotational movements than others. But that's not the point here. Every joint has some sort of rotational path. And then every joint is also capable of being trained in some sort of linear path as well. So both of these techniques are kind of most applicable to the hips and the shoulders because they have the greatest range of motion, the greatest degrees of freedom. So they, they can do the most. And that means that they have the greatest rotational path, like literally just the biggest space that they can move through. And then they have the greatest number of linear paths. So they have the greatest number of different, you know, single lines that they could move in. So let's talk about the rotational path first. Controlled articular rotations. He calls them cars. Basically, what this involves is slowly... Well, let me back it up. The cars, you are always supposed to irradiate first, right? So we generate tension in the entire body. And the idea here is that we're activating all the muscles, but everything is static. Everything is staying in place except for the one single joint that we're addressing. So like, like I said, hips and shoulders are going to be the easiest ones to think about here. So we'll take the shoulders. So you tense up your whole body. Your arm is straight. And then you're just moving the shoulder and you take it through the biggest range of motion possible that the shoulder joint can express. And it's for you as an individual, right? So especially if you have an injury or something, that range of motion could be very limited. And the idea here is not that you like push through pain. You know, you, you're not supposed to push through injuries to make the range of motion bigger, but you work through the biggest, safest range of motion possible. So that's totally on you to make sure that you're working in a safe range. So the shoulder cars, the shoulder controlled articular rotation, tense up your whole body, arm is straight. We're only going to move the shoulders. It starts from the side right next to your hip. And not to get too detailed about it, basically you're going to raise it up in front of your body. It's slowly eventually going to make its way up overhead. And they're going to rotate and you're going to try to bring it back behind your head. And again, start to bring it down towards the hip. And then you reverse that motion. So then you're going backwards. So it's from the hip. Now it's coming out behind you into the side. And then you bring it all the way up overhead. And then start to bring it down the front. So you're making the biggest circle possible. You can do this with all of your joints in some capacity. And it's not going to look the same way as the shoulder does because different joints have different structures. So just a real quick example, you can take your elbow, start off with your elbow straight, rotate so the palm faces forward, bend the elbow all the way as far as it goes, rotate the palm the opposite way, and then extend the arm. And then, of course, you can reverse the direction. Right, so the controlled articular rotations, that is you expressing the full range of motion that, that joint has with no pain. So the controlled articular rotations are supposed to be done every single day. So they're not a super high intensity. They don't have to be. They can be. There are more advanced techniques, which I won't cover. But as like a bare minimum, you should do controlled articular rotations every single day for every single joint. If you look it up online, you can find 
like an actual video of Dre himself, Andrea Spina. You can find a video of Dre himself doing his morning routine where he addresses basically every single joint in the body. I don't think that his morning routine includes the fingers, but it does include the toes. And the whole thing is only like 20 minutes. But he systematically moves every single joint in the body through its full range of motion. So this is done every single day to constantly provide the brain with information about the body and information about each of the joints, how they're moving, how it feels to move, the actual space that it's capable of moving through, which muscles are working to create those movements, how hard they're working, you know, which points in that rotational path are smooth, which of them get a little shaky, you know, which area of the circle it's like fucked up and flat or jagged. So you just need to constantly be moving. This is what I was saying earlier. Just every single day you should be moving all of your joints. So just constantly giving feedback to your brain. Movement is the only way to actually maintain your range of motion and articular function. The whole, like the the use it or lose it thing, well, I don't know exactly what that stemmed from. I don't know if it came from movement and, you know, exercise science, but it absolutely applies. If you don't continuously use certain ranges of motion, they'll go away because it takes energy from your body to maintain these ranges of motion. So if you don't use it, your body's just going to be like, fuck it, I don't need it. And just get rid of it. So... A couple more things to say about cars. One, it serves as a diagnostic tool. So you can, right, you practice these cars regularly. And, you know, ideally, on some periodic basis, you actually record yourself doing it, right? So you actually have a visual assessment of what it looks like, like how much space am I actually moving through? Maybe more importantly, you just get an internal experience, an internal sense of how much space you're moving through and how much range of motion you have. But every single time that you do your controlled articular rotations, it's a diagnostic tool and it's telling you how much range you have and which parts of that motion are not optimal. In addition to being just a diagnostic tool, the cars can also serve as a training stimulus. So in the beginning, I mean, the most important thing you don't have to make them super high intensity exercises, super high intensity movements. All you need to do is just move. Like you just need to be consistently moving. And for most people, that's going to be enough to open up some new ranges of motion because they're just moving way more frequently than they used to. And that's, you know, like I spoke about the law of progressive adaptation in the beginning, like that small amount is enough for like the, the beginning of, this new type of training, right? So you can, you can use the controlled articular rotations to assess your workspace. And so that's, that's a term that Dre uses himself. So your workspace, it's literally the space of possibilities in which you can perform any work, right? So it's, it's not your flexibility because flexibility is passive range of motion, which are ranges where you literally can't do work. Like you, you don't know how to use your muscles there. So your workspace is basically your mobility, right? It's, it's your space where you can actually do stuff voluntarily, intentionally, right? Where you can actually use your muscles with control. So you use the cars 
to assess your workspace. And then you use the linear path techniques, the pales and rails and the pals and rows, which I'll get to in a moment. You use the linear path techniques to expand specific areas, specific ranges of motion. And then you use the cars again to assess your progress, right? Because you're doing the cars every single day. So you're just continually reassessing, re-diagnosing. And then you use the linear path techniques less frequently because they are like actual training stimuli. Like this is strength training. So you can't do it every single day like you do the cars. So you use these linear path techniques to expand specific areas. And then you're just always doing cars, just continually uploading new information to your brain about your body. So that's basically all I have to say about the rotational path. It, it goes much deeper. There are like multiple levels to the controlled articular rotations and the ways that you can do it, the ways that you can progress with it, different ways to make it more or less intense, uh, more or less neurologically complex as well. There are different techniques for working around like specific injuries or specific limitations or imbalances or asymmetries, but I'm not going to get into that. So I think I covered all of the foundational stuff about cars. So again, that's, that's the rotational path. That's how you express your greatest potential for your workspace and a greater workspace will equal greater movement potential which will equal greater potential skill space. So on the previous episodes that I did this week, I was talking about your skill space. And again, so that's like your, your space of possibilities for actually learning complex skills, right? So the workspace is just referring to the individual joints, where they can move, and then your skill space is, you know, it, it encompasses the different types of combinations and sequences of the different joint movements that you can put together, right? So it's just your, your ability to actually learn and acquire new skills. So greater workspace is greater movement potential, which is greater potential for a skill space, whatever that skill space is that you want to cultivate. So let's get to the linear path. Uh, this has been, a uh, pretty long podcast already so I'll see if I can get through this fairly quickly so the linear path we talked about pales and rails and pals and rows so progressive angular isometric loading if you don't know isometric means that you're not moving right so an isometric muscle contraction means you're contracting the muscle but the joints not actually moving so progressive angular isometric loading versus regressive angular isometric loading refers to basically like which side of the joint you're actually contracting. So the progressive side would be the side of the joint where the muscles are lengthened. So if you were doing a hamstring stretch, your hamstrings are lengthened. So the progressive tissue would be your hamstrings. The regressive tissue would be the opposite side. So that would be either like your quadriceps muscles or potentially your hip flexors, depending on what you're doing. So that's pales versus rails. So again, this is about the linear path. So this is improving specific ranges of motion. 
which will ultimately improve your rotational path, the cars. So, pails and rails. Simplest way to think about it is that it combines PNF stretching with strength training at end ranges of motion. So, if you don't know what PNF stretching is, PNF is proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Sounds complex, maybe. It's not really that complicated, but it's a cool little trick which allows you to override some of the neurological blocks that I spoke about earlier. So one of the simpler techniques for PNF, basically you're, you're doing a stretch. So we'll go back to the hamstring stretch. You're stretching your hamstrings. Sit in the stretch for like 30 seconds. After the 30 seconds, you slowly start to contract the hamstring muscle, but you don't let the joint actually move, right? So this is an isometric contraction. But what this does is override the stretch reflex, which is, a, again, it's a neurological thing. Like it's not that the muscle can't lengthen more. It's that the brain won't let it lengthen. The nervous system won't let it lengthen further because it perceives it to be in a dangerous position. So you do this PNF stretching. You stretch for 30 seconds. Then you contract that same muscle for 10 to 15 seconds, depending on who you hear it from. And then you relax, you let go of that contraction, and your body will let you stretch a little bit further. Well, really, your brain will let you stretch a little bit further. But these are temporary improvements, right? Because this is just like a neurological thing. So if you were to come back the next day without having done anything else, you'd be right back where you started. Right, you're not actually making any changes to the tissue. You're not making structural changes. That's just a temporary neurological change, right? You're kind of just down-regulating this safety mechanism so that you can temporarily access greater ranges of motion. So that's your PNF stretching. So what we do with the pails and rails, you're basically just using that PNF stretching technique which temporarily gives you this window where you have greater range of motion. So then you need to actually do something with that range, right? With this temporary window of time. So then from there, it's like mostly just standard strength training techniques. And it's just applied to these end ranges of motion, right? This, this new range of motion that we were able to open up with that little trick from the PNF stretching. So the reason why this is so important, like I said, if you do just PNF stretching on its own, it doesn't actually create lasting changes. So to create lasting changes, we need to actually use the muscles so we can capture that new range of motion. If you're able to apply force, you know, actually contract the muscles in the new ranges, then that tells your body that it's, a safe position, right? It tells your brain it's okay to be here because I can actually control it. I can actually do something voluntarily. I'm not just like suffering through pain because I'm stretching so far. So over the long term, you progressively increase the intensity and or the neurological complexity of the types of movements or muscle contractions 
that you voluntarily perform in these new ranges of motion. Right. And so again, these like for the most part are just kind of standard strength training techniques and they're just applied to these end ranges of motion. Right. So we'll just call it end range strength training. So just like regular strength training, this has the potential. And if you do it properly for long enough, it will cause structural changes, right? Your, your actual biology, like your, your tissues, the muscles, they will adapt. And with this approach, since it's focused on the joints, not just the muscles, all of the connective tissue will adapt to become stronger in these positions, stronger and more resilient. So the muscles adapt, they get stronger. The tendons and the ligaments and the joint capsules, even like potentially your bones themselves, like they, they will all get stronger together. So that part's really important is that it's not just the muscles, but it's all of the connective tissue. And then of course, neurologically, you're getting better. Like the neurological improvements can actually occur very quickly because you're working in these new ranges of motion and it's not just that the muscles aren't strong there, but it's like your brain just doesn't know what the fuck to do. Like there, it just has no experience. It has spent so little time in these positions, first off, and then it has spent far less time in these positions and actually doing something consciously and voluntarily, right? So you basically go from absolutely zero experience to a little bit, you know, very quickly. So you can have pretty rapid neuromuscular gains in the beginning. After, usually after the neurological gains, then if you do it, you know, progressively and over a long enough time, you'll start to see the structural changes. And so I just want to throw this in there that people think the FRC system is just a, a flexibility or mobility thing. Like, they think it's just to like try to manufacture these bending motherfuckers. But this shit actually makes you strong as hell. And you can actually put on muscle using the FRC system. Right. And so what they're actually teaching you, yes, you're going to become more flexible. You're going to be more mobile. You're going to have greater range of motion. But what it's really teaching you is to just be strong everywhere. Right. It's so that you have strength and control over every position that your body actually can get into. So the linear path, we spoke about the pails and rails. And again, those are isometric exercises. I don't feel like it's going to be useful for me to try to describe the specific techniques necessarily because, you know, you either kind of have to do it and, and or, you know, have a visual, like just watch a video. There's plenty of shit that you can find. They like Dre has a he has a YouTube channel. They have an Instagram you can pl find plenty of other people on Instagram doing FRC shit. So go check it out. Um, the other stuff, though, the PALs and ROWs, progressive angular loading, regressive angular loading, basically the same concepts as PALs and RAILS, but now they're not isometric, so now you're actually moving. So what these are doing, really they're just more advanced techniques, but it's applying the same concepts. Right, so we've... We've done the pails and rails for a few weeks, maybe for a few months, and you could still use those like directly before doing one of these other movements if you wanted to. 
because um, again, it's it's kind of taking advantage of that PNF stretching technique where we can temporarily open up new ranges of motion. But you know, over time, you get to a point where the neurological blocks are not a significant factor anymore because you've just done it so many times. And so again, this is the point of like capturing that new range of motion. So like you don't have to go through a PNF routine just to open up the full range of motion. It's like your brain already knows like, yes, I've, I've trained here a hundred times before. Like I can just go right into this actual training. So the pals and rows, again, just more advanced techniques applying the same concepts, the same principles. So they're, you know, they're really used for actually cultivating greater strength and greater control and greater skill, you know, any, any different sort of attribute that you want to attach onto it. It could be greater speed, potentially. It could be greater power, greater endurance. It doesn't really matter, but it's just taking these newly acquired ranges of motion, and now we're just doing different types of movements. So some of the stuff that they do, just to like kind of name drop some of the techniques, he calls them passive range holds, he has passive range liftoffs, passive range hovers, end range rotational training. And I think that's it. Oh, and then the last one, <clears throat> the last one is um, eccentric neural grooving. So the first ones that I mentioned are all rows. They're all regressive angular loading techniques. Um, so basically, you can think of that as like using the muscles to move you into a greater range of motion, right? So if you were going to raise your arm up overhead, you would feel the anterior deltoid activating. So that's like the muscle that's, you know, on the front of your shoulder. If you were to raise your arm up overhead, you feel that muscle is tight. And then if you were to try to keep pushing back further, that muscle, the anterior deltoid, that would be the regressive tissue, right? Because it's getting shorter and you're actually contracting that muscle to pull you into that end range of motion. So those rouse techniques, the passive range holds, liftoffs, hovers, end range rotational training are mainly focused around training that side of the joint, right? The regressive tissue. And then the last one, the eccentric neural grooving, and it does go in that order um, because it just it progresses simply, like logically, in that order um, in terms of the intensity and the neurological complexity and the control that you actually have to exhibit. So the last one, the only one that's actually a, a progressive angular loading technique, at least that we covered in the seminar, I'm sure there's more if you get more technical, more nuanced. The only PAL exercise is the eccentric neural grooving. So using that shoulder example again for raising your arm up overhead if you were to come up with an exercise where you oriented your body differently so that it was still moving through that range of motion but now the muscles that were doing work were on the opposite side of the shoulder so like mainly like your lats would be working so for example you could lay down on the bench on a bench or on the floor and if you were holding a weight in your hand and you went from, you know, holding your arm vertically to slowly 
bringing your arm up overhead. That would be an eccentric contraction for the lats. And that's kind of just the simplest form of eccentric neural grooving. So you just do that slow eccentric contraction. And then depending on how heavy it is, you know, you just put the weight down, kind of bring it back to the side and, you know, reset and do the whole thing again. So I, I won't get uh, too detailed, too technical about why the PALs and RALs are important. Really, like, you know, the basic premise is just that you've acquired this new range of motion and you don't want to just be able to do isometric contractions in those ranges, right? Because that's what the PALs and RALs are. They're all static. They're all isometric. You're not moving. But we want to actually be able to use these new ranges actively, dynamically, be able to move, be able to move with speed or strength potentially, as well as be able to move in different directions and different planes. There's the dogs again. All right, so we're almost wrapping up. Last, one of the last things I want to say before I just kind of leave you with uh, some benefits of why everyone should do FRC. So we're talking about, like this, this whole system is about expanding range of motion, right? And so some people will say they don't need this because they do full range of motion exercises, right? Like they do, they do push-ups, full range of motion. They squat to full depth. They do pull-ups, full range of motion. But just because you're doing full range of motion exercises does not by any means entail that you are expanding your range of motion. It's actually ridiculous to even say, like, you're doing full range of motion. That means you're just using your full range of motion that you currently have. Right? <laughs> like... You're just using your current range of motion at its full range, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't mistake that for expanding your range of motion. If you're not doing anything specific to expand it, then it's not going to be expanded. Your brain's not going to allocate the, the energy to expand your range of motion unless you're doing something extremely intentional and that you know, will actually provide the stimulus and then subsequently provide the adaptations to open up new range of motion. So if you're just doing full range of motion exercises, like you're just using your current range, but you are not expanding your range of motion. Full range of motion exercises are not mobility exercises. You're just using your full range. That's it. All right, so this is, I think this has been over an hour, so I need to wrap this up. So this, I just want to leave you with a few benefits about the FRC system. And again, I'll just say it here to, uh, to make sure that I don't forget at the end. So again, functional range conditioning, FRC, Dr. Andreo Spina's system. Check him out. Again, his name is spelled A-N-D-R-E-O. S-P-I-N-A, Andrea Spina, uh, functional range conditioning. He has some other systems. He has like functional range release, um, functional range assessments, and then they have this thing called kin stretch, 
which they pretty accurately describe as yoga on steroids. I won't get into that whole yoga thing. Um, but th- those are some of the different sort of courses and systems that they have. So the functional range conditioning is just a part of, you know, a, a larger system. So some of the things that I really like about it and why I think everybody should be doing it. First, every single FRC technique that you do is like a meditation. So you have to be extremely mindful. Like I said, with basically all the exercises, you have to apply that that irradiation technique where you're contracting basically every single muscle in your body. So you can't really do it without focusing. Right? So like every every single thing that you do, it's 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 like its own meditation. It essentially requires no equipment. There are some more advanced techniques that you can do with some sort of equipment or some like light weights, but by itself, like it, it requires no equipment. That's great because I think that's a barrier for a lot of people. Doing these techniques will improve your self-awareness rapidly, especially if you're not used to exercising. And it's not just like your body awareness, but even like your mind because you like it, it really is like mentally challenging. It's not just physically challenging um, when you're, you know, trying to, I mean, think about like how much it kind of sucks to just stretch, right? But now instead of just stretching, one, we're stretching further than you're actually capable of stretching normally, right? Like people just do a 30 second stretch and like, oh, it kind of hurts, like stretching sucks. But then we're doing stretches for longer so we can actually get into new ranges of motion, and then we're applying strength training techniques to it, right? So now we have that, you know, that that painful effect of stretching coupled with the painful effects of muscular fatigue. So like this shit is not easy. It's it's not some fucking walk in the park like, oh, I'm just stretching, you know, I'm just getting more flexible, just flowing around like, no, this shit is hard as hell. It's extremely uncomfortable. But your self-awareness of your body will improve rapidly and then just like your mind like it's it's a mental challenge every single time that you do it so you will get stronger not just more flexible Um, and again we're talking about being more mobile not flexible we're not talking about acquiring passive ranges of motion to do cool yoga poses we're talking about being more more mobile actually having control over these ranges and getting strong as hell in these new ranges of motion you can still build muscle. I believe I mentioned that briefly. You can still build muscle with these techniques. Again, it is strength training just at end range of motion. If you practice these techniques in this system, you're also less likely to be injured because, again, the, the focus is not just on the muscles, but it's on the joints themselves, right? So we're training all of the connective tissue. In addition to that, a lot of the reason why people get injured is because some sort of external force, whether it's a weight or like if you're playing sports and it's another person or whatever, a lot of the reason why people get injured is because their body, one specific joint, is put into a position that it's not used to being in, right? You have not trained in that position. Almost always you get injured in a position that you have not spent a lot of time training in. And the amount of load that's applied to that joint in that position is greater than what the connective tissue can handle, whether it's the muscle 
the joint capsule, the ligament, the tendon, it doesn't matter. It's something is not capable of bearing all of that load. That's why you get injured. So you do the FRC training techniques all day, every day. You're way less likely to be injured because you've trained everything. You've trained all of the connective tissue, and you've also trained it in all of the different positions. So you're strong everywhere. You're resilient everywhere. So you can literally expand your capabilities and your range of possibilities, like on a very literal sense. You start to notice like over, you know, if you stay consistent with it over the course of a few weeks to a few months at like at a minimum, you literally expand your range. Like physically, you just have greater potential to move. And to me, I think that you you feel more like a human because you can actually move how the human body is supposed to move. 